0: Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Our text verses are going to be 18 through 23 this afternoon. Before I get to these, I just want to say a word or two and make a couple of comments and just kind of preface things. Uh, Somebody said to me earlier this week, or last week rather, it's a new week now, um, said Pastor, you've talked a lot about unity lately in the church or from the pulpit. And that is true, to some degree I've made mention of it just to uh, remind us of the importance of unity in the body of Christ uh, for the purpose of our mission, our goal, to serve Christ. And in that conversation, it was mentioned, well, you know, maybe um, if there's something going on or there's disunity somewhere, maybe, you know, talk to individual people. And I understand that, and I do, when it's necessary. But at the same time, whenever there's something that, that I'm talking about, or that I'm getting a sense of, or that I mention to you, like in, in context of this, uh, is there some disunity in the church somehow, somewhere? As the same time as I'm mentioning that, there ought to be a heart... Uh, that, that says, is it I? And what I mean by that is, you remember when Jesus, when Jesus told his disciples that tonight someone's gonna, one of you is going to betray me. And their response was, is it I? Is it I? Is there something, am I going to do that? And, and what I'm saying is, there ought to be that kind of a heart that is looking inward not you know pitchforking to to someone else but but that says is there something in my life that's a problem is there something in my life that would cause there to be uh some or be room for or be the catalyst for or be a a help to causing disunity in the church and the attitude would be i i don't want something in me to be a cause for disunity in the body of Christ. Wow. And so if i've mentioned that it's not to lecture it's not to berate certainly it's to give warning and that's part of ministry part of pastoring is giving warning and also to encourage, to encourage us in what our purpose and our mission is, where our focus ought to be. It ought to be on Christ. It ought to be upward. It ought to be looking inward in my own relationship to the Lord and not horizontally on a horizontal plane. And if there's one thing that the devil wants to do, it's to disrupt and destroy unity in the body of Christ. Because it keeps us from being able to serve and glorify Christ. And maybe that's not something that we're going to have to keep on talking about. I don't, I don't want to need to have to do that. Amen? Um, but if we have the right heart and the right attitude and the right outlook, that's not going to be a thing or an issue. And, and don't get me wrong, um, I don't really believe that our church is just divided, say like the church in Corinth was. and We're going to talk about them in just a minute. Um, but there, there is something that we always ought to be on guard for. And that is to, to the protection of the unity of the body of Christ. That you're my brother, you're my sister. God placed us in this body as it hath pleased Him for a particular reason. And the Lord wants us to serve Him through this place. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. Our focus is on Him. We are unified in that one thing that Christ is my Savior, we have a bond in Him, amen, and He wants us to glorify Him and serve Him through this church. So if there is one thing we really ought to be watching for and protective of, it's that. Because the devil wants nothing more than to disrupt the unity of this church to keep us from serving Christ. So they're not lectures, They're they're not anything but warnings and admonitions and encouragements. Let's stay on top of it. Let's be on, on guard. Amen? Amen? For the sake of Christ. And we ought to have the attitude in the heart. Is it I? Is there something in me, in my life? I don't want that. Let's, let's examine it. Amen? And so, that being said, let's turn our attention to our passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 18. Of course, Paul dealing with the church in Corinth and, and really addressing how to eliminate divisions within the body. Because this is one thing that this church really had a problem with and struggled with, was divisions in the church. And and it's toward the end of it, Paul has already laid out for them what the cause of their divisions were. And this is sort of wrapping up that section and dealing with how to eliminate it. He's calling on them to do something about it. In verse 18, "...let no man deceive himself..." If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours and ye Christ's, and Christ is God's. This passage is the beginning of Paul wrapping up his case regarding the division and the disunity among the church members in Corinth. And as I said, he's already laid out for them the case and the reasons why there's division among them. He talked about human wisdom and human reasoning Uh, The wisdom of this world, or our own human thinking and understanding, that was part of the problem uh, with the church in Corinth. Not relying on the wisdom that's from above, God's wisdom. There was a party spirit going on in the church. They had loyalty to these particular leaders. Some said, I'm of Paul. Some said, I'm of Apollos. Others said, oh, I'm of Cephas. And some said, I'm I'm of Christ. We're the most spiritual. There's this party spirit going on in the church and all of that paul says is carnal he says you're carnal and i can't speak to you uh you know as mature people I have to speak to you as babies because you're you're being carnal in your thinking fleshly in your thinking and and so paul has laid that case out for them and now he's calling on them to do something about all of that to to eliminate it to fix it and and to repent of that, and to change their thinking. And he says in verse 18, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Then he says in verse 21, Therefore let no man glory in men. And so he's, he's, he's calling on them now to, to address this, to repent and to change their thinking and this passage shows us the solution to the problem that they were having uh, in their church. And the solution to the problem was to correct their thinking, to change their thinking. And to fix that issue and to have unity in the church, they needed to address some things. And they had the right thinking concerning four particular things. They needed to have a proper view of themselves. They needed to have a proper view of others. They needed to have a proper view of this world. And then they needed to have a proper view of the Savior. And those are the four things found in this text that I'm going to draw out this afternoon and make applications for us as well. All right, And and pay attention to the Word of God. Again, they're not lectures at all. They're admonitions and warnings to encourage God's people. This is what we want. This is what we need. In our church, we want to be unified so that we can serve Christ, amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us here, and we ask for your grace. And Lord, for the right spirit and the right heart attitude towards the truth and towards the Word of God, towards ourselves. And Lord, would you help us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. The first view or thing that needed to change that Paul brings out is that, and tells these people, they need to have a proper view of themselves. Look at verse 18 through 20. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Here Paul says you need to have a proper view of yourself. And I imagine as Paul was had written this to the church dealing with their particular issues, when they read this, this probably stung a little bit. Because basically he's saying is, those of you who have this way of thinking, you're deceiving yourself. Um, It probably stung a little bit when he said, let no man deceive himself. And the idea is that our own thinking, the way that I think, you know, if, if it becomes like... Basically gospel because this is how I think and this is the way it should be. And, and this is, the, you know, my opinion on something. Our own thinking is, is foolishness when it comes to actual spiritual truth and spiritual things. And we, we need to have our own thoughts instructed from God's wisdom. We need our own thoughts instructed from his word rather than applying our own slant to things, we need to let God's word inform and instruct us. And oftentimes that means being willing to understand, like, you know, I may have a thought or an opinion about something, but what does that even mean if we're talking about opinions? Opinions are nothing. And what I need is God's word to instruct me in the way that I think and sometimes even to just set aside my way of thinking and just ask the Lord to instruct me from his word. Our own slant is often the product of intellectual pride. Meaning, I think that I am in the right, insert in this thing, and, it, and that becomes uh, that, uh, a source uh, of pride. And intellectual pride is the enemy of God's truth being able to influence my life it's the thing that stands in the way of god's truth influencing me and we need to cultivate in our life the attitude and the mindset that my own thinking is foolishness compared to spiritual truth and i need god's word as the supreme authority in my life where god's word is what is honored god's word is what is revered not my own understanding and i need to submit to that i want it to inform my thinking i want it to change the way that i view things rather than applying my own thinking or reasoning to god's wisdom and the proper view of self is is pretty simple it's a hum it's a humble view number one but it's a humble view uh, that that reminds me and reminds uh, us that apart from divine truth, I'm nothing but a fool with empty thoughts. You understand that? You understand what I'm saying? Apart from divine truth, in what God, in His wisdom, can give and impart into me, I'm nothing but a fool with empty thoughts. And recognizing that truth is actually what opens the door to true wisdom and closes the door to divisions. Because where do divisions often start? You think differently than I think. That's often where divisions start. And what does that even matter if we're talking about divine truth here. And so Paul says, "Don't <laughs> let no man deceive himself. You're deceiving yourself if you seem to be wise in this world, in human wisdom and in human thinking. He says, let him become a fool. Like, set that aside so that you can actually be really wise. He says, for the wisdom of this world, that's foolishness with God. Our own human thinking is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Aren't you glad that the Lord is going to do that someday with those who think they're wise in this world? This is an agenda going on out there, right? But in the end, God's going to take them in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. That's a pretty powerful statement right there concerning our own thinking. The Lord knows our thoughts. Their vanity. And so without him, apart from divine truth, we're fools with empty thoughts. And that's that's how we ought to view ourselves. I'm not special. The way that I think is not special. And what I really need is God's word to be informing me. And then look at secondly the proper view of others. In, in verse 21. In the first part of verse 22, he says, Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. Here Paul talks about the proper view of others, and this was a second necessity for them in eliminating division, and that was having the right view of other people. Now Paul had spoken strongly against these this party spirit, and these special loyalties to these various church leaders. Go back to chapter 1 in verse 12. Chapter 1 in verse 12, Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Uh, and, and, And Paul states here that all of you, have this attitude and this party spirit about you, where some of you are saying this, I'm, I'm a follower of Paul, and I'm a follower of Apollos, and, and it created this divisive spirit inside of the church. And, and so Paul speaks strongly against that. And then in chapter 3, in verse 4, he says, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal?" Who then is Paul, or who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Year God's building. And so Paul mentions it again here that some of you say these things, but who are they but servants of the Lord, just like you? The same three that Paul mentions back here Paul, Apollos, Cephas, he mentions again in our text. And he says there in verse 21 Therefore let no man glory in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. He mentions those same three here. But now the emphasis is a little bit different. And even although those men should not have had some special elevation or be specially revered in some way, Paul states here that nonetheless, those men were actually sources of great help and great blessing to the church notice how he says in verse 21 for all things are yours whether paul or apollos or cephas that phrase all things are yours it means concerning you and it carries the meaning of for your benefit in other words what he's saying is these men were actually given by god to you for your benefit. And these men, they were act to, they were to be sources of blessing and unity, not sources of division among you. They're for your benefit. They were sent to the Corinthian church by the Lord and should have been listened to and should have been respected. They were teachers of god they were god's teachers sent to the church they even taught the same truth from god they weren't teaching something different from one another they were meant to be sources of of blessing and unity the division that developed wasn't over what was being taught the division that developed was over attraction to individual styles or personality types, and so on. And these members began to glory in Paul, or glory in Peter or Apollos, giving honor to one more than another. That was something that was part of their culture. That was something that the Greeks did. In in that society, you know... People were, I'm a student of so-and-so. I'm a student of Gamaliel or whatever. And it became an identity of recognition. And that was something that was worldly. I'm in this camp and so on. Even Jesus' disciples struggled with that from time to time. When the disciples said, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven? You know, or, or should we forbade them because they were not of us. The word glory here means to make boast in. And it was something that was rooted in pride. And the church became divided over the pride of their own heart. And the reality was that the Corinthians were actually blessed of God to have been influenced by the ministry of at least three outstanding men of God. What a blessing that that should have been to them. Two of them were apostles even. And whether whether Peter was actually physically in Corinth, we don't actually know. But obviously some of those Corinthians had benefited from his ministry because they certainly knew him and were, quote, followers of him. The truth was that each of those men had special gifts and abilities that God intended to use to teach and lead those believers to build them up in their faith. And that variety among them should have enriched the church, not divided the church. They were blessings of God, but that's not how they were viewed. Their thinking needed to change regarding others. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27, writing to the same church, Paul says, Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular, and God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way, and he's going to go on to talk about love in chapter 13. But I read these verses because the whole context in which these verses are written is that each and every member is important for the function and the unity of the body. Not everybody has the same gift. We all have a place because God has set each member in the body as it hath pleased him. God has given gifts to each and every one. They're different, but all of them are important for the function and the unity of the body. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, and he says that God gave to his churches apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers. And the reason is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, and also so that we all grow up into the Lord Jesus Christ unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ for Christian maturity. So we can all grow in the Lord and be more like Jesus. Not more like the leader or the pastor or whatever. Amen? Paul's point is that we should rejoice in and profit from all the faithful leaders that God sends to them. Whether it's Paul, whether it's Apollos, whether it's Cephas... And if they had been careful to understand and follow what was being taught, rather than looking at the externals, rather than focusing on personality or style, they would have been united in a truth. They would have been united in a purpose. And their thinking needed to be corrected concerning that. And so often that is the case. Our thinking needs to be changed regarding others. Because every single one is important in the body. Every single one is for, a, is for a purpose and for the function of the unity of the whole. But when we start getting our eyes off of Christ and off of the, you know, the, the, the main thing being the main thing, and we start getting our eyes down here on this uh, horizontal level rather than the vertical level, We start looking around, and and then that's mixed with the pride of my own thinking and how it's different and better than someone else's thinking. And it's not the same as me. You understand what I'm saying here? All of a sudden, there's room, and the door is open to cause division and disunity in the church. That should not be the case in the Lord's churches. Thirdly, Paul says not only do we need a proper view of ourselves, not only do we need a proper view of others, but we need a proper view of the world. Notice here again in verse 22 of chapter 3, "...whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come... All are yours. And there's that phrase, all are yours again. And again, it means for your benefit. And a third necessity for overcoming division in that church... Was having a proper view of the world. That phrase, all are yours, continues on in this list. It means concerning you, it means for your benefit. So not only are godly leaders for your benefit, but also everything else from God is for your benefit as well. As believers, we are heirs with God, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, and Romans 8:28 says that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose, meaning trials of life and other things, they're used of God for your benefit to grow you up in Him for His purposes. The world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. It's basically an all-inclusive statement that if you are in Christ, the things that happen to you in this world, in this life, actually can be used for your benefit, if your focus is on Christ. In Christ, all things are for our good and for God's glory. He, he mentions the world. It's the word Cosmos. It means the physical creation, it's not talking about the philosophy of the world. And the point is, like Paul is saying, the believer can appreciate the world as no unbeliever ever could. The creation of God. Why? Because we know where it came from. We know why it was made. We know why we are in it, and we know what its final destiny is going to be. We ought to be able to sing with certainty and joy that this is my Father's world and He's placed me in it for a reason. Listen, I'm here because it's part of God's purpose. A believer should be able to understand that and rejoice in that more than any unbeliever ever could. He talks about life. He says, this world or life, it's for your benefit. It's concerning you. It's for your benefit. And you can talk about physical life or you can talk about spiritual life. When it comes to physical life, we ought to be able to say, man, what a gift. I breathe God's air. He's given me life, physical life. What a blessing. What a gift. I don't, didn't deserve it. I had nothing to do with it. What possibility it has for us. How vast our opportunities in this world with this life that God has given. The gift of life is is an opportunity to sow eternal seeds in a field that's gonna bring about eternal results. It's ours for two great purposes, to love the Lord with all of my heart and then to love my neighbors myself. That's my purpose in this world with this physical life that God has given to me. And then there's spiritual life. In Christ, we have new life, a quality of life that's never gonna tarnish, it's never gonna diminish, it's never gonna be lost. And through Christ, I'm a partaker of the divine nature. That's for my benefit. Then he talks about death. Even death is ours. The great enemy of mankind has been conquered because of Christ and through him, we have conquered death. Listen, all death can do for a believer is to deliver him into the presence of the Lord. That's why Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For God's people, life is good. But death, which ushers us into eternal life, is even better, according to Paul. He talks about things present That encompasses everything we have and experience in this life. It includes the good, the bad, the pleasant, the painful, the joyful, the disappointment, the health, the sickness, the contentment, the grief. It includes all of that. And in God's hands, it serves to make us spiritually richer. It's for our benefit and His glory. He talks about things to come. Those are heavenly blessings. Now, we don't understand all of those. We get a small glimpse of them now. But we can, be rest, we can rest assured that they're going to be greater blessings than we could ever, ever possibly imagine in heavenly places. The application is this. The perspective that Paul is trying to lay down for these people is that each of the various spiritual leaders they were claiming were actually for all of their benefit it wasn't something special about you it wasn't something special about you in your group and in your group no they were for all of your benefit they were all for their their edification whether it was paul whether it was paul whether it was or apollos whether it was cephas beyond that God had given to them all things around them, including life and death and things present and things to come. All are yours. God has given all of that for your benefit. And the idea is that no man is the source of any one of his blessings. No man is the source of any one of his inheritance. And so there was no reason to boast in men. If there was no reason to boast in men, then there's no reason to be divided. Did you follow that? It makes sense. The capstone of all of that is verse 23. And here's really where the focus needs to be. He says, and ye are Christ's, and Christ is God's. We need a proper view of the Savior. Paul says you belong to Christ. Christ belongs to God This is by far the greatest necessity in the life of a church. Having the right view of Christ. Amen? He is himself the source of spiritual unity and the source of any kind of healing, the source of of everything in the life of a church. It's got to be Jesus Christ. It's when we take our eyes off of that central figure, that division begins in a church. But the fix for it is getting our eyes back on that central figure. And guess what? All division ends. He's the main focus. He is where we are united in Him. And Paul's point is this. Saints of God, brethren, we belong to the same Lord. We all belong to the same Lord. We're to be one in Christ. And if that's true, then we are also to be one with each other. Therefore, anything that denies our oneness with each other also denies our oneness with Him. How... Could the church be so divided? They had a lot of good things about them. Paul said, you don't come behind in anything as far as the graces go. And I don't want you to come behind in the grace of giving. He says, you've got all kinds of talent. You've got all kinds of gifts. You've got all kinds of abilities. And yet they were still divided. How could they be? Well, it begins with forgetting are not understanding the reality of our spiritual unity which should be in Jesus Christ that's why any of us are here so with the proper view of self I need God's wisdom not my own I need God's Word to inform me and instruct me proper view of others that everyone is necessary everyone is needed we're all here only because of Christ proper view of this world and a proper view of the Savior. And when everybody has that same heart and mind, there's no room for division at all. And we have a common dependence on the Scriptures. And so there's no room for faction or disunity. And that's what the Lord wants. Paul talks about it in Romans. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians how important the unity of the body is. And that is something we should guard and protect. And we do that by first looking inward. Lord, is it I? Is there something in me? Having a right view of self, a right view of others, a right view of this world and why I'm here, and then a right view of Christ, my Savior. Amen? Let's ask the Lord to help us and strive for it. And that way He's able to use us how he wants to. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, thank you for its truth and how simple it is if we'll just apply it. and I pray, Lord that you would help us to have a heart to love our church and love the body that the Lord has placed us in as it hath pleased him. And Lord, to seek to guard and protect it. And so often, the devil will never destroy a church from the outside. But so often, he can destroy it from the inside. But if God's people are looking at Christ... And I'm concerned about my own relationship with the Lord, and my brother's concerned about his relationship with the Lord. And all of our eyes are focused on Christ, the central figure. So many other things just fall into place. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in us to that end, to bring unity in the cause of Christ, to bring unity and love one for another. Lord, that we would grow and mature further and fuller into the image of Christ. Lord, that we'd be vessels in a church that Jesus Christ can use to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Lord, may we be protective to guard against things that would Hinder the power and the Spirit of God among us. And we love You tonight for loving us first. And we ask that You'd help us to love You even more. And to align, constantly be aligning with the truth of Scripture. Thank You for giving it to us. Thank You for this body, Your church. In Jesus' name, Amen.